0: Now we are commanded as people to follow Jesus Christ. We're given that choice, but I would do that. And it means that we're gentle and we have humility. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemberton. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, where we're trying to figure out what does that mean, humility in today's world? Actually, yes. Corey is here to tell us more. Corey, what's going on?
1: We're going to be exploring the idea of first century AD religious purity. Ryan? Well,
2: Titus, to whom Paul was writing, was a pastor on the island of Crete. And what's really fascinating is that one of the most incredible artifacts ever discovered was found on this island. We're going to be talking about that today.
0: Very good. A lot to study in the next half hour, so stay with us. What are you doing, Jen?
3: We're going to talk about the word successor.
0: All right, successor, so get your Bible out, your Bible guide, turn to today's passage in Titus chapter three. This is going to be a good one. Let's understand and study.
3: Titus three, verses one through eight. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8.
0: Titus is a good man. Chapters 1 to 3 is what we cover today, and he knew Paul. Let me tell you something, Paul knew him. Uh, it, It is a great passage that we study today because we learn much. Now, becoming a Christian, a Christ follower, may be offensive to some. But let me be clear, the advantages of being born again outweigh any offense You see, God does not wait until we have grown mature in him before giving us the advantages of a believer in Christ. It is true that Christians grow. And like everything else in our world, our Christian lives aren't static. We learn and we change as we experience life with God. Now, when we first truthfully come to Christ, God heals our spirit and gives us grace and the gift of eternal life. And then the Lord begins to change our attitudes and our thoughts about the things around us. We move from a culture of sin to a culture of God. Now the word culture helps us to describe a group of people living life together and that group influences over other individuals. Now, consider that God's word And ways are greater than any culture. And Christians can exist in all of them. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. As Christians or Christ-like, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our fight is spiritual. God helps us to grow in a new pattern. Not in this world, but in the next in eternity. And that's exactly what we mean. Now, that's what we learned today as we begin to focus on what Paul said to Titus. We're looking at Titus 3, When 8. Take your Bible guide and turn to it if you'd be kind enough. If you don't have a Bible guide, why not? We'll send you one. Just write to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, click on the Bible guide page. It'll take you to a donate page. And let me say, Thank you very much for your donations. We really appreciate it, especially during the time of the pandemic. You've kept us alive. God has moved on your heart and we thank you. We don't tell you how much, but we tell you we have need. Just give according to what God speaks to you because we trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Now, when you do that, you can download it just like we see it on BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Father, we pray today, Jesus, that you would help us to see what you've told Titus. We understand that Paul is the one writing to Titus. And you used Paul's personality in this particular passage to show him the truth about who you are. And that's really what we need to learn. We need to move our Christian life to another level to become aware of what you've said and make it a part of our life so we can learn more about you. That's to prepare us for eternity. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen and amen. Now, when we focus on this, it gets interesting. This is Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Look at the first two verses. You're going to like it. Remind them to be subject to the rulers and authorities to obey. (laughs) Told you you're going to like it. We are subject to the rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work every good work, not evil, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable people, to be gentle people, showing all humility to all men. Now, this is what Paul tells Titus, to be peaceable, to be gentle and showing humility is the way that we are commanded to live. And see, we can do nothing without the strength and grace of God. (laughs) And I will tell you something, to have those virtues in our lives, it has to be a transplant. God has to move out the old self and move in the new self. He does that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. It's an incredible, remarkable power. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit come in our lives today to help us to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Because we need to be like that as Christians, People who identify themselves as followers of Christ. We need to bring that forward. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. For we ourselves were also once foolish. We were once disobedient and we deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures inside of us, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to God's mercy, His mercy, God saved us through the washing and the regeneration, the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to to the hope of eternal life. That's a transformation right there, I'm telling you. The Holy Spirit is the key changing factor in the life of the Christian. It's the Holy Spirit who changes us, beloved. We must allow God to shift our attitudes and our thinking. I remember when I was a young Christian, I prayed, Lord, I got to change this way. Help me to change this way. And I stopped praying that after about two weeks because God spoke to my heart. (laughs) <laughs> through the word of God. And he said, you can do nothing, but I can do everything. Allow me to come in. And I want to tell you something, his Holy Spirit did come in and begin to shift and change my attitudes and my thinking. That becomes very important, especially when you're talking about sin and the ideas of serving your own lust and everything else. We've got to allow God to work. And we won't do it. His Holy Spirit will, but we have to allow him to work. Very important to remember that. Now, we go to Titus chapter 3, verse 8. Look at this. This is a faithful saying, he says to Titus, Paul says. And these things I want you to affirm consistently. I want you to affirm these, say yes to these. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to all men. (laughs) Oh my goodness, it doesn't matter what culture you're in, they're good for everybody. Christians are profitable to everyone, everywhere. We must allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. Beloved, we have to affirm, God, please come in. I like to do things my way, but I wanna do things your way. I'm gonna turn, on. I'm gonna get out of the driver's seat I want you to sit in the driver's seat and I'll sit in the passenger seat. And I'll keep my mouth shut, although I can't, at which way I think we should go. Because you ultimately know the way we should go. So help me, Lord, to be the one who follows you. Because my decisions are not mine. Help me, Father, to follow you because my decisions are not important. What's important is that I do what you have called me to do. That's important. Help me to do that today and help me to do that now in the midst of everything going on around us. Help me to do what you have called me to do in this time that you have placed me right now. In the name of Jesus Christ and all of us together said, Amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. we go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting, it's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone, or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there.
2: Today, we read Paul's personal letter to Titus. Now, Titus, of course, was a pastor who was assigned to set in order the church at Crete. And you know, Crete has a really fascinating history. I mean, consider that the Minoan people who lived there in the distant past, even before Titus, were very well known for their incredible technological savvy. As a matter of fact, although these people belong to one of the world's most ancient of cultures, their technology was way ahead of its time. Thousands of years ahead, in fact. As one example, consider the Feistus Disc. Since excavations first began back in 1899, many startling discoveries have been made on the Mediterranean island of Crete. Indeed, though Crete was once home to the Minoans, an ancient civilization dating to between 2150 and 1450 BC, many of their technological innovations were way ahead of their time. For example, the Minoans were master builders And their very large palaces often contained technological features which rivaled that of the romans some 1400 to 2000 years later some of these features included running water drainage systems toilets and baths also found among these ruins were various high quality artifacts made of elements such as rock crystal ivory gold and clay which clearly display the wealth craftsmanship and artistry of the minoans one of the most mysterious of these relics was discovered among some pottery at the Minoan Palace of Phaestus in Crete in the early 1900s. Dubbed the Phaestus disk, it is a small circular clay disk, roughly 16.5 centimeters across and 1 centimeter thick, that has been impressed on both sides with pictograms and symbols resembling hieroglyphics. This artifact is quite unique because unlike other Minoan clay tablets which were left unbaked, this disc was deliberately fired which gave permanency to the symbols contained on it. Also interesting is that these mysterious and indecipherable symbols are arranged in a line that spirals in clockwise from the outer edge of the disc to the center, or perhaps the other way round. And although there are 241 characters on the disc, many are repeated, so that only 45 different glyphs or symbols are present. Yet the most remarkable feature of the Feistus Disc is the fact that the various signs are identical each time they occur. This means that these symbols were not carved by hand. Rather, stamps carved from wood or cast in metal must have been used to print the symbols into the clay, which would make this the world's earliest example of movable type. Indeed, the Feistus Disc is dated to approximately 1700 BC, and if correct, then the Minoans were 2500 years ahead of the Chinese, who reinvented movable type in the 9th century AD. The Minoan civilization is very much out of place within evolutionary history. Such an ancient culture could not have been evolved enough to accomplish such great technological feats. Ancient peoples such as these are a reminder that mankind indeed was created fully formed and intelligent from the beginning, just as the Bible proclaims. So as we study ancient relics from the past like this, it becomes very obvious that ancient peoples were on at least the same level cognitively as we are today. We were never animals as evolutionists teach, and the Feistus Disc is just one of many thousands of examples of the ingenuity of ancient mankind. Artifacts like these contradict the evolutionary origin story so much that they've actually been classified as out-of-place artifacts, or uparts for short. And I actually produced a two-hour documentary on this called 30 Out-of-Place Artifacts, which you can get by contacting our ministry, which I highly encourage you to do. And what's so exciting about this is that while artifacts like the Feistus disc contradict evolutionary origin stories, they actually help confirm biblical history. Because the Bible teaches that we didn't evolve up from the animals. Rather, it teaches that God created human beings as is, fully formed, and fully functional from the beginning. And the fact that we were made in God's image means that we were given cognitive abilities far above that of the animals. In other words, man was created fully human and intelligent right from the beginning. And with this proper understanding, these out-of-place
0: artifacts aren't out of place at at all, nor do they create great mystery or controversy. And I think that's important because we understand that the Bible, we're getting science slammed in our face every day, so-called science or science without God. And what happens is it's where we were very simple, one cell creatures, you know, and all that. But actually the Bible says we were sophisticated creatures created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And so if anything, we're going down on the intellectual abilities, we're not going up. You say, what about the technology? But the technology is coming at a pace that should be faster than it's coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, you know, we don't have time to discuss this now, but it's very interesting. And we'll talk about it in a regular on the upcoming church 365. All right, Jen, or Corey, go ahead.
1: <laughs> okay. So I want to talk about one of the main themes in Titus and that is on how we're not supposed to get involved and get distracted and get preoccupied with the outward symbols of righteousness, you know, uh, displaying our good works before men or, or, or adopting religious traditions or even religious dress, uh, as part of our righteousness, but rather fully depending on Jesus Christ as our righteousness. That is a main theme that is throughout Titus and and living in such a way uh, with your works and with your words and with your life that you properly represent the gospel of Christ. So these themes got me thinking about what that would look like in the first century. I know what outward piety looks like in this century when I'm living, but what would that look like in the first century? And there are many, many different ways in, um, that that was expressed. But what it made me think of was the very interesting purity culture in Judaism that arose just before the time of Christ. Take a look at some of the evidence for it. First century Judaism had as a uniting symbol, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. The temple centralized the giving of sacrifices and the various annual celebratory festivals of Israel. Though the temple and festivals were important, there was much more to ancient Judaism than this unifying place. Synagogues, scripture, and teachers of the law existed throughout Jewish society and the faithful practiced their faith in all aspects of their daily life. Community synagogues were an essential aspect of Jewish daily faith, and in the first century BC, the mikveh, or immersion bath for ritual purity, joined the fold. Both public and private mikveh pools are known from archaeology. They're distinctive in their overall design and in where they are built. Namely, wherever there was a Jewish community, mikveh could be found. These baths enabled the faithful to observe the purity laws of bathing found in the Mosaic Law, in both a real and convenient way. Beyond Mikveh, many researchers suggest that there was an even closer way to express the Jewish faith, through dishes made of stone. The popularity of stone-carved dishes increased in the first century BC and lasted until the second century AD. Their popularity largely coincides with the boom of known Jewish mikvah. The idea is that water for personal purification rites like hand washing before prayers and before meals could be kept in stone jars, as is seen in John chapter 2. On top of this, it's known that later Jewish thought believed natural stone to be more resistant to becoming ritually impure than other materials like wood or pottery. Or at the very least, stone vessels and dishes could be purified with water, whereas pottery dishes rendered impure had to be destroyed. Pottery was very common and inexpensive, but its destruction was surely still a material loss and an overall inconvenience. Interestingly, the stone used in these dishes was chalk, which seems an unusual choice for dishes because it's a porous and dusty material. It must have had a distinct advantage for Jews in this time period, however, because it is consistently found in Jewish contexts, but almost never outside them. This may be due to the fact that the Mosaic Law does not mention stone vessels at all in its purity laws. Pottery was to be broken, wood washed with water, metal with water or fire, but nothing is said of stone. This scriptural loophole may have fostered the belief that stone cannot be rendered impure. Recently, near Nazareth in the city of Cana, where the Gospel of John records the stone jars of pure water, a chalkstone quarry has been unearthed. Inside the quarried cave, chalkstone vessels were found at different stages of production. Now, what I'm not trying to say through showing this segment and our talk before is that tradition is somehow bad or that religious piety is somehow bad. That is not what I'm saying at all only that we have to make sure that our focus is in the right place. Are we depending on Jesus Christ and him alone for our righteousness? Or are we doing things to build up our spiritual profile, to be good Christians, to be good people so that somehow we're earning our way into heaven? Because if we're doing that, the Bible lets us know that doesn't work. We are fundamentally not good enough to get into heaven. We are fundamentally flawed now as human beings but there is a way to fix that. And it is only through depending on Jesus Christ as our source of righteousness, depending on him for forgiveness uh, and for entrance into eternal life. Then all of the other things that we do, the good works that we do and and living in a way to express the gospel that is flowing out of God's own righteousness. That's flowing out of our love at our dedication for him and our thankfulness to him. So tradition is not bad. It can be very helpful uh, with our memory and and just overall in our lives, it can be really edifying, but we need to make sure that we're keeping the main thing, the main thing, that Jesus is our righteousness and He is our only way into eternal life.
3: And that's exactly why I called my segment successor, because the word successor is a noun meaning an heir. And I thought that word success is in successor, and we can only become successful through God's grace living in and through us because it isn't anything that we can do. This is not a religion of rules and regulations. Uh, Paul is saying here, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And then he tells us, remind, he's uh, uh, telling, um, Timothy here, Titus here, to remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. You and I both know that we can't do that on our own. We cannot, we can try, we can strive to do that on our own, but we are human beings and we make mistakes and we will say and do things that we should not do. That is why we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in him, it is through his grace. Uh, Paul says here, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our savior, that having been justified by his grace, We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And that's what we have. This is not a religion because no one can live up to these standards. This is a commitment to give your life, for me to give my life to follow Christ, to be obedient to His ways. It's the opposite of what we're taught in this world. We need the strength of God's Holy Spirit within us. But we must know Him in order to be able to hear him. There was a time when, you know, uh, there was that saying in armbands that would be, what would Jesus do? There's nothing wrong with asking that question. It's a good question to ask, what would Jesus do? But we can't come up with our own ideas of what we think Jesus would do because that's making our own God.
0: Which we did a lot.
3: Which we did a lot. We can't make up our own God. He is God and he tells us in his word what is right and what is wrong. And that's what we need to be able to change our hearts, to be humble, that humility. And we need to have that grace in order to be successors of that grace. Successful, not in of ourselves, but what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, His and I, Son.
0: I think it's important to remember that, uh, of course, the book of Revelation is a great book and it's, we're coming up on that in a few days. Mm-hmm. But the book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. Everything we do here, Uh, comes from our our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, you know, that's why we're here. Uh, And we want to encourage you. uh, If ever you feel the need to know God, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. Come to him, invite him into your life. Ask him forgiveness of your sin because he died on the cross and he rose again. Do it today. God will change the way you live if you give your life to him. Remember, our prayer meeting begins at 3.30 on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Facebook and YouTube at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And uh, when you go there, look up Bible Discovery and prayer and get on and join us. We'll pray for you right now. Let's pray today this way and say, Lord, help me to move into your grace and let your Holy Spirit, not my spirit, let your Holy Spirit change my life and change my faith. Jesus' name.